Hello, and welcome to Make It Clear, a conversational podcast about all things related to water and wastewater. I'm your host, Angela Bounds, and I'm joined by my co-host, Sean Rapp. In each episode, we'll tackle a relevant topic with facts and expert opinions and make things clear. Hello, and welcome back to another podcast. We're all glad that you're here. Today, we have with us Patrick Foley. Hi, Patrick. How's it going? And uh, Sean Rapp. Hey, Sean. Hello, Angela. Good to see you. So today, we're going to talk about inflow and infiltration. It's a topic that we talk about all the time, but being in the wastewater business, that is just kind of what happens. You talk about a lot of things that a lot of other people don't. Uh, so we've got Patrick here with us to talk about this. Patrick actually leads our systems engineering team. So he is kind of on the forefront of I&I discussions. It's kind of the abbreviation that everybody uses. So Patrick, we're really glad you're here. I'm glad to be here. So let's get right into it. So Inflow and infiltration, why don't you go ahead and define that for the audience? Yeah. So commonly, it's referred to, like you said, as I&I. And, I. and so it's the combined effect of infil infiltration and inflow, which is referring to extraneous flow that can enter your wastewater system, either through groundwater or rainwater. And so mm -hmm. to break that down a little bit further, you've got infiltration which is referring to flow that enters a sewer system underneath the ground surface. So like water that's groundwater that's entering into your, you know, your, your, your collection lines. Inflow, right. on the other hand, is referring to water that's coming from things like gutter downspouts. You've got poor construction, corrosion, if you've got really old pipes, mm -hmm. flooded manholes. So basically it's right. anything that's man-made almost. So it's like above ground, essentially. Above ground as opposed to, so inflows above, infiltration is below. So what's working its way in through the groundwater. Yeah, that's correct. So let's talk about how common INI is. It's not discussed a whole lot, but it's pretty common, right? It's very common, and especially depending on your type of wastewater collection system. So most commonly, you're going to find a lot of infil infiltration with gravity sewer collection systems. You know, that, that those have been around for hundreds and hundreds of years, right? And so right. they've got pipes that utilize, you know, a lot of concrete pipes, bricks, even clay. So over time, those can degrade and then water can infiltrate. And then, of course, right off the bat, new construction, if you have a gravity sewer, they are actually allowed to leak. So they're following the 10 state standards, which is what is used right. to design collection systems or gravity sewer collection systems, they have an allowable leakage based upon the pipe diameter and then how long that pipe is. So for example, an eight inch pipe has an allowable leakage of 800 gallons per day per mile of, of that pipe diameter. So, right. so gravity kind of sewers are allowed there's an allowance right. for that INI for the leakage. Exactly. And then of course whatever right. can potentially come in can also go out. Right. Right. We were actually having that discussion before 
the podcast started, I've always thought that it should be I and E, not <laughs> I and I. So infiltration and exfiltration, because like Patrick just said, whatever can come in can also get out. Kind of makes sense. Yeah. Exactly. So gravity sewers are built with an allowance for I and I. Typically a septic system, the septic systems we help design, we encourage the design of, mm -hmm. are actually built to be watertight and not to have I and I at all. That's correct. So we, you know, you'll commonly hear a lot of us say that liquid only sewer systems are largely immune to I and I. And so primarily we're saying they're largely immune to the infiltration because you're using you know, high quality HDPE pipe with, you know, welded connections and so and directional boring techniques. And so you've got really long stretches of pipe with no with no joints, essentially, where you can have significant inflow with liquid only sewer. So in a lot of older communities, a lot it wasn't uncommon for gutter downspouts to be tied to your building mm -hmm. sewers. Right. That's kind of the biggest thing is the gutter downspouts that I forget the number off the top of my head, but depending on your square footage of roof, uh, one inch of water can significantly contribute to the amount of water going down your gutters. And so mm -hmm. that's kind of the big one. And then if you have like sumps down in your basement to you know get rid of water or your foundation drains, mm -hmm. things like that, those can significantly contribute to the inflow in a collection system, regardless of if it's a gravity sewer or a low pressure collection system. Right. Yeah, that rain accumulates pretty fast. Yeah. So what are some of the other potential sources of I&I in a gravity sewer? So basically, it just comes down to the poor construction or the, the aging infrastructure. And then, of course, if mm -hmm. you've got poor road drainage, so if the manholes are underwater mm -hmm. for long periods of time and puddles in the road, those can contribute to to a lot of sources of inflow and infiltration. And then so, there was, I'm sorry to cut you off, but there was no, one, uh, <laughs> there was one article I was reading recently and for a single family home that had a sump pump. So like in their basement or that was tied together with their, their footing or their foundation mm -hmm. drains, it could contribute mm -hmm. in one rainfall event, 7,000 gallons of water to the sewer system, which that's a lot of water. <laughs> that's a lot of water. <laughs> and that's, that's a lot equivalent of, of like, you know, 35 to 47 homes on a given day. Right. On, that's on, like under seven normal. full septic tanks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you're using a thousand gallon septic tank. <laughs> exactly. So with all the pipes being underground, right? Like all sewer pipes are underground, whether it's a gravity sewer or liquid only sewer. How do you check for I and I? Let me talk about that. Yeah, so the I get there's a, a number of ways. So I guess we'll kind of just run through them all, and then I'll kind of dive into some of the ones I know the most about. So you can easily do flow monitoring. Mm -hmm. You know, at lift stations, you can easily pull your pump run times and your cycle counts, and then you can easily calculate you know how many gallons a minute are going through those pumps. That's kind of the easiest way. Mm -hmm. That can be applied to liquid-only sewer systems as well. So as you know, many of our control right. panels are, are equipped with what we call lapsed time meters and cycle counters that do the same thing. Uh, you can do physical inspections, whether that be, you know, actually s sending a man down a manhole and looking at, mm -hmm. you know, how many cracks are in that 
precast manhole that were, or, you know, that were installed. Smoke testing is, is very common. They, you can do dye testing with a non-hazardous dye. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you can do uh, televising lines. And so those are the most common on the, on the actual mains. And then, of course, where you see a lot of infiltration in, inflow is on private property because the mm-hmm. utilities aren't really typically monitoring that. And so you can, you can do private inspections. So you'd have to go house to house and verify that their service laterals are cleared. You know, they don't have their foundation drains hooked up to their s- service lateral and then the same for any sump pumps. But the most common that, that I'm familiar with is, is smoke testing. And what they'll do is they'll, they'll go to either a manhole or to even a septic tank and they'll put a smoke machine on there and then mm-hmm. force smoke in. And so in theory, right. all of that smoke should be exiting the system through either manhole covers or if you're doing someone's private service lateral, it should go through their service lateral, back up through their building, and then go out mm-hmm. through their plumbing vents. But if it's going out through their gutters, <laughs> then it's pretty easy to know <laughs> that their gutters are hooked up to the sewer system. Right. right. And then, it, of the course, smoke if coming it's coming out of the lawn. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That was my next point. If there's smoke coming out of the lawn, you know that there's some cracks and it's not uncommon. I was at my father in law's place and the tree roots had grown into the his building sewer yep. and then dislodged mm-hmm. it from going into their, their septic tank. And so we had to break the tree roots out and then put in a new building sewer from the house to the septic tank. Mm. Yeah. Seems to be a common thing because tree roots and other plant roots will try to find water wherever they can. So Exactly. It's a yeah. good source. The nutrients in the wastewater. <laughs> right. You just want to get at it. Exactly. So let's talk a little bit about the impacts and how it actually affects the users, the users of the systems, whether it be gravity or let's talk about that first. What's yeah. the impact to a gravity sewer? Well, it can actually be pretty significant. So if you do have severe INI in a collection system, you know, water is going to take the least path of resistance, the path of least resistance, that is. So right. if you're in a gravity sewer network, it's going to potentially come up and lead to sanitary sewer overflows, which are what we call SSOs. And it's going to come out of those manholes and, you know, lead to environmental and health and safety concerns, of course. Right. And then so what a- trickling down to your treatment plant, you know, so... Mm-hmm you've had to over-design your treatment plant to account for your wet weather flows. And then of course it can upset the treatment plant and you've got, you know, full-time operation and things like that, that can come into play. But the biggest thing you'll notice is your electricity bill, because that's, you know, your, your, the amount of air typically that you're putting into your, to treat your wastewater is based upon your daily flow. And if your daily, daily flow triples or quadruples, you're adding more air and then of course consuming more electricity. Right. I don't think that people understand what a balancing act gravity treatment really is. Yeah. And the the effect that that kind of surge volume has on a system. I mean, we all have the rivers shut down on occasion. We're told not to get into the river or whatever after a surge event. That would be why. Exactly. <laughs> Right. You would think that would have a really big impact on the transport line too, because you know those pipes really aren't designed to handle that kind of flow on a continual basis. So if this is a recurring thing, that would probably cause a lot of stress on those transport lines too. Exactly, and then not only that, but you know if you're in a gravity sewer system, at 
typically at one point or another, there's got to be a lift station or, or multiple, of course. And mm-hmm. so you're putting more stress on all that equipment. And then if, and then there's a power outage or something like that, you've got to account for flow not getting to the plant. So yeah, there's, right. like you said, a lot of factors at play. So what about the impact on liquid-only sewers from INI? Uh, so that's a very good question. So for instance, you know, the biggest benefit of a, of a liquid-only sewer is you're achieving primary treatment in the tank. And so mm-hmm. the tanks are sized based upon the residence that they're, or the connection that they're serving. So if you've got a single family home, typically you'll see a thousand gallon tank, sometimes 1500 gallons in communities. And the advantage of that is you're achieving your, you know, your passive digestant digestion in that tank and reducing the load at the treatment plant. But if you're sending a lot of water through that tank, unnecessary water through that tank, you can upset the the biological treatment in that that's t- that's occurring within that tank right. itself. So, and that what that leads to is mm. is more frequent pump out intervals, and then of course the the consumer having to or the utility bearing more cost to pump out those tanks, which is unnecessary. So, how do we fix it? That's a good question. <laughs> what should people do? the the big The best thing that people can do is, like I said, you know, a lot of water can be contributed either through the foundation drains or through the gutter downspouts. And so as we're going into these smaller communities, which we typically do in a lot of our and our new projects that we're working on, is that the engineers can verify that, or the contractors, I guess I should say, will verify that when they're installing a new tank at that home, that their gutter downspouts mm-hmm. are truly not connected to that tank. And so they're basically starting out fresh. And then, you know, right. there's also comes into to play sound construction methods because where we see some potential INI in a liquid-only sewer as well is the, the riser to tank connection. If that's not watertight and the groundwater table elevates above that connection, water can mm-hmm. seep in through that connection. So as you know, in our installation instructions, we have, you know, watertight test the tank after it's installed. And then we recommend going two right. inches above that connection so we can verify that joint is watertight. Check and recheck. Exactly. Right? Or is it measure measure and remeasure? <laughs> both. <laughs> both. All right. Well, is there anything we missed? I don't know. We, you know, we've covered a lot in a short amount of time. That's for sure. I know it's kind of interesting. Like you think of, I always think of some of these topics as, you know, oh, that's a real quick thing, right? But then next thing you know, you've been talking about INI for 15 minutes. Right. It's, it's pretty interesting. And it's super important. You know, it's one of those things that we've always talked about. You know, I was lamenting earlier that I don't, having grown up in this industry, quite literally, I've just always kind of known what I and I was like, you know, I was proofing my dad's papers <laughs> at 16. Right. Dad, what's I and I? <laughs> and so we've always just kind of talked about it and the importance of watertight systems and watertight tanks so that you're not treating water that you don't need to treat, etc. But it's, it's still something that bears discussing. Yeah, I mean, that's basically what it comes down to. Right. I always found it interesting that they actually all allow inflow and infiltration into big pipe sewer because there's a lot of papers that talk about how it's uh, w- what an expense it is to treat 
additional mm-hmm. flow. And so you would think that they would want to have a way to seal that off so that they're only treating what should be treated, thereby saving money in both repairs as well as money to, you know, the users of the of the system. Right. Know, and, and not have to have those repair bills or those high monthly payments or have to replace the system in 20 years because the system wore out. They were just they just had too much mm-hmm. flow. Or for an environmental cleanup. I mean, that's that stuff gets really expensive. And you would think that they would want to start out from the outset wanting a closed system so right. they don't have to deal with that stuff or pay those extra dollars. Right. And, you know, it's not uncommon for those activities that I was ta- uh, talking about earlier on how to identify INI. Those take up a significant amount of the budget for a lot of utilities. You know, they're they're consistently mm-hmm. going through on an annual basis, you know, televising lines and and monitoring different parts of their collection system to actually verify that they're not seeing significant INI in portions. And then of course the cost to do to do the repairs is is very costly. You know, whether it be a full replacement, you know, I was driving through Roseburg mm-hmm. a couple years ago on Garden Valley and, you know, they had to divert traffic for a while and they it looked like they were doing a complete replacement of their gravity sewer going down Garden Valley there because and some very mm-hmm. large equipment and very slow moving traffic for large a few types. days. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's disruptive. Very. It's, it's disruptive. It really is. When, and unnecessary. I think that's the, the biggest thing. It's an unnecessary disruption. Right. I think we call that a high social cost. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, Patrick, thank you so much for joining us. And as always, thanks for listening. We want to thank you again for joining us today. Before you go, don't forget to subscribe where you listen to podcasts so you're notified when new episodes are posted. Also, you can leave your comments or suggestions through the contact link on our website, www.arenco.com. Until next time, have a great day.